New Zealand's biggest company by far is a dairy cooperative. With 14 billion USD total revenue in 2021, Fonterra Group is the country's juggernaut. A dairy company does way more than milk, and over the years, Fonterra has evolved and grown along with the New Zealand dairy industry to become a globe-spanning food giant. In this video, we're going to look at New Zealand's biggest exporter and a cornerstone of its economy. The Wikipedia article on the company gives a good start on its history. New Zealand has a competitive advantage in milk production. The grass grows there at high quantities for nine months of the year, which makes cattle grazing cheaper than in other locations. The United Kingdom established its New Zealand colony as a friendly economic frontier that can produce and ship dairy and meat products back to the imperial homeland for its urbanizing population to consume. These dairy exports first began in the 1840s with a shipment of cheese to Australia. Volume significantly increased with the introduction of refrigeration in the 1880s. Now you can ship perishable goods thousands of kilometers to Britain and the rest of the global market, but mostly Britain. From the very beginning, the country's dairy industry has been mostly made up of cooperatives. Cooperatives are owned, controlled, and run not by external shareholders, but rather the operators. So the dairy farms themselves. The first dairy cooperative was established in New Zealand in 1871. 50 years later, in 1920, some 600 cooperatives owned 85% of the country's dairy processing plants. The New Zealand government felt that having so many individual cooperatives would make it difficult for them to sell and market their product. Thus, in 1923, they established the Dairy Produce Export Control Board to control all dairy exports and gain economies of scale. This organization would later become the New Zealand Dairy Board, or the NZDB. It held a legislated monopoly with the exclusive right to market all export dairy products. The cooperatives would handle the collection and processing of the milk. The NZDB would do the shipping, packaging, transportation, quality control, promotion, and so on. Over the years, however, this scattered industry had undergone several waves of consolidation. By 1935, those 600 cooperatives had merged and turned into a little over 400. In particular, World War II and the UK's demand for imported foodstuffs supercharged the New Zealand dairy economy. The Kiwis provided 70% of Britain's cheese and 91% of its butter spreads during the war. The British would continue buying New Zealand goods after the end of World War II. This guaranteed market fueled that industry's growth. However, new technologies in dairy processing and transportation encouraged yet another bunch of mergers. By the 1960s, those 400 cooperatives would become 180, and so on. Then, in 1973, the United Kingdom entered the European community. The Britons had previously guaranteed access to New Zealand's milk and meat exports at good terms, but the EC move significantly curbed New Zealand's privileged place in the British market. To prevent a collapse, the New Zealand government increased their support of the agricultural sector. By 1984, such support made up about 30% of total sales. But this approach was not working. The New Zealand economy was struggling with high inflation, high debt, high input costs, and uncompetitive goods. The government responded with a strong reform program across all industries, removing the industry's protections and exposing it to the global market. As expected, the New Zealand agricultural industry suffered greatly. 
Previously, dairy farmers sold their milk to the NZDB at a bundle price that did not reflect a proper return on investment. Government subsidies encouraged the overuse of fertilizer and the cultivation of land that had been unsuitable for sheep and beef. So, as a result, the country had overproduced on milk. When those policies went away, many farmers went bankrupt or had to sell their land to stay afloat. Land prices dropped, farm prices reached a 23-year low, and profits shrank. But the upside was that the market shrank to a more manageable size. The dairy industry's new round of consolidations allowed the remaining farmers to achieve scale and become more efficient. Farms transitioned to portfolio approaches, no longer exclusively relying on dairy farming, by cultivating different crops and offering new services like tourism and recreation. The NZDB, however, retained its monopoly on dairy exports. But, in the wake of losing its privileged status in the UK market, the board decided to pivot and diversify into international markets. This is challenging. The richest and most developed countries have very protected dairy industries. For instance, tariffs on milk imported to Japan or Switzerland ranges from 360% to 800%. Milk in general is a low-margin commodity, so even relatively low tariff rates can have devastating consequences to the bottom line. The New Zealand government has gone to bat for its dairy industry, consistently negotiating multilateral trade agreements with this in mind. New Zealand's participation in the big export market would eventually lead to its big final restructuring in 2001 with the creation of Fonterra. At the end of the 1990s, there would be only four cooperatives left in the New Zealand dairy industry. New Zealand Dairy Group, Kiwi Dairy, Tatua, and Westland. The latter are very small, so we are basically talking a duopoly. By now, the NZDB's legal monopoly of the dairy export market was becoming a bit of a problem. It made sense back when there were hundreds or even dozens of small farms, but now the industry had vastly consolidated, and the big two cooperatives were getting antsy and impatient with the NZDB. They wanted more say in the production, processing, and marketing side of the industry. For instance, Milk itself is a low-value good, so you can make more profit by processing it into yogurt which can sell at a higher price. The conflict sprouted up about whom the benefits of such sales would go to, the NZDB itself or the individual cooperative that supplied its milk. Outside observers also felt that the NZDB's export monopoly position hindered domestic competition too. New Zealand's domestic dairy consumption was small, so any new cooperative needed the export market. But this was gated by the NZDB and its shareholders. In other words, potential competitors. This tension within the industry grew to the point where its contradictions could not be sustained any longer. Finally, in 2001, a merger was proposed between the two largest cooperatives and the NZDB itself. The cooperative's shareholders approved the merger. The government soon followed with the Dairy Industry Restructuring Act of 2001, removing the NZDB's export monopoly and blessing the birth of the Global Dairy Company, or Fonterra Cooperative Group. Today, Fonterra is a vertically integrated cooperative group with vast operations and sales offices around the world. 96% of the milk that its 13,000 farmers produce is exported. Together with producers in Australia and the European Union, Fonterra dominates the international dairy industry. 
the company has grown beyond being a simple export outlet for its New Zealand-based farmers. Fonterra has become a legitimate global food company on par with Nestle, Danone, and other global giants. This means being capable of offering and supplying a large variety of diversified food goods to customers all over the world. Thus, they create and sell a variety of value-added dairy products. These include milk powder, cheeses, butter, cream, flavored milk, yogurt, and ice cream. In search of additional growth, the company has started investing in and coordinating production outside of its native New Zealand. For instance, the company has invested substantial resources into Latin America, namely Chile. Fonterra jointly owns one of the country's big dairy companies, invested along with the investment arm of the Chilean Catholic Church, of all things. This is in part to guarantee regular milk supply during New Zealand's winter months and also to dodge trade barriers that prevent the entry of dairy products sourced out of New Zealand. 2001 would be a special year for New Zealand milk for another reason. China entered the WTO. Ever since then, China has imported more dairy than it has exported. Much of that imported dairy has come from Australia and New Zealand. China has grown its own capacity for generating dairy. For instance, since 2001, dairy production has surged from just 10 million metric tons to 39 million in 2009. This makes China the third largest milk producer in the world behind the United States and India. The Chinese are also frequent consumers of dairy, growing fast off a small base. In 1996, they consumed about 8 kilograms per capita, by 2006, that had grown to 25 kilograms, driven by trends in refrigeration and improving lifestyles. Increasing Chinese consumption of infant formula over the years comes off a low base, but is also due to various economic trends that encourage the use of infant formula over breastfeeding. Chinese exclusive breastfeeding rates have drastically declined since 1996. This is in part due to new mothers finding it challenging to continue breastfeeding after returning to work, and also, in part, formula companies very aggressively marketing infant formula to mothers despite international recommendations not to do so. Domestic suppliers were taking share, and Fonterra risked being caught on the outside looking in. So, in 2005, Fonterra entered into a JV agreement with leading Chinese company Sanlu Group taking a 43% stake. The new company's revenues grew well, and the company became a leading provider of milk powder and infant formula. You probably know where I'm getting at here. Melamine is a chemical used for plastics. It has many useful industrial uses, however, it is not suitable for consumption. But because it is rich in nitrogen, it is sometimes added to food products to increase the apparent protein content. This is obviously illegal. In September 2008, the Chinese government announced a major recall of milk products found to have melamine in them. The issue compounded when other dairy products, ice cream, yogurt, and just regular milk, were also found to be contaminated. Six babies died and 300,000 babies became ill. The Chinese dairy industry took a massive financial hit. Sanlu itself went bankrupt, was fined $7 million by the government after its bankruptcy, and four executives were put on trial. Fonterra lost its entire $150 million investment. This was a horrible tragedy, but it is a little ironic that the scandal, which Fonterra had been involved in, 
albeit as a minority partner, would in turn spur sales of foreign imports, including Fonterra's own New Zealand-sourced milk products. Chinese dairy imports went from $871 million in 2008 to $1 billion in 2009 and $2 billion in 2010. Chinese dairy imports from New Zealand in particular grew very well. 2009 imports grew 82% from 2008, and 2010 imports grew another 122% on top of that. Sales did take a bit of a hit from a 2013 recall when the company found bacteria contamination in its whey products. But today, Fonterra makes a great deal of revenue from China, contributing a significant percentage of annual profit. The country is very strategically important for the company. New Zealand's domestic market for dairy products is too small, so Fonterra needs to be able to export into overseas markets in order to grow and allow their farmer shareholders to keep their jobs. Fonterra wants to be able to compete on an even footing in a free, open market, and that is not how I would describe the global agricultural market at all. It is heavily distorted with subsidies to farmers, tariffs, and domestic politics. Such things have been a consistent thorn in New Zealand's side during two decades of multi-country agreement talks. For instance, Japanese markets are consistently closed to outsiders. Thus, New Zealand is a country very incentivized to strike individual free trade agreements with other countries. For instance, New Zealand is one of the few Western-aligned countries with a free trade agreement with China. New Zealand has also struck agreements with Hong Kong. The Hong Kong-China-New Zealand Closer Economic Partnership Agreement is Hong Kong's first outside of mainland China. And interestingly enough, New Zealand has another free trade agreement with Taiwan, the economic cooperation with the separate customs territory of Taiwan, Penghu, Jinmen, and Matsu. Very carefully worded. This is the case for every country with a big agricultural area, but... The New Zealand dairy industry's high dependence on export agriculture influences how its host country handles its foreign relations with the rest of the world, as one might have noticed throughout Australia's recent tensions with China. A second outcome of Fonterra's dependence on middle-income countries for the majority of its export income is that the New Zealand dairy industry, for all of its marketing about cleanliness and premium quality, needs to be a low-cost leader. Such low costs are hard to achieve in New Zealand, where few things are particularly cheap and environmental regulations are somewhat strict, and so it has leaned heavily on its farms outside of New Zealand. This naturally causes tensions with its host government, upon which it relies upon for opening up export markets. In the years ahead, the company will have to work hard to correctly balance the needs of the market, its host country, and its shareholder operators while fighting off cow competition in the global marketplace. Alright everyone, that's it for tonight. Thanks for watching. Subscribe to the channel, sign up for the newsletter, and I'll see you guys next time.